Happy New Year. In the, in the church calendar, this is the first day of the new year. So, Happy New Year. We're starting a brand new year today. And it starts with Advent and not with January 1st. So, uh, uh, welcome to the new year. Advent is an interesting season. It means a lot of things. Uh, it's a reminder of a number of things. Uh, in lots of ways, Advent is a preparation for Christmas. Right? We're, we set up a Christmas tree and we're, we're readying ourselves uh, we're, we're wrapping presents and we're, we're hanging lights, but we're also readying ourselves spiritually for Christmas. We're preparing ourselves. Uh, we're remembering the first time that Jesus entered the world. We, we tell the old stories. We sing the old songs. We all have our traditions that we uphold uh, the church as well. We are reminding ourselves of the incredible event that happened over 2,000 years ago in a little stable in Bethlehem. Uh, but Advent is also a time of looking ahead. It's looking forward to the future coming of Christ when he will come again in all glory and, and uh, be with us uh, in completion. Uh, when Jesus returns to bring righteousness and justice, to rid the world of sin and inju- injustice, to establish his kingdom of goodness and blessing, and to rule like no earthly king has ever ruled. So this is we are looking back and we are looking forward simultaneously. And so it is, it's a time of celebration, but it's also it's a time of longing. It's fun. There's revelry, there's remembrance, and, we, and there's fun involved with Christmas. But this is also a time of hope, of longing and waiting and pain and struggle, a time to declare that things aren't the way that they are meant to be. Uh, and, and a time to be desperately longing for Jesus to show up again in a brand new way and to redeem things the way that they were always meant to be, to show, to show up in real, tangible ways and to make things right. So, uh, so let's commit during this Advent season to sitting in that tension, uh, that it's fun and, and festive, and yet things aren't the way that they're meant to be, and, and what if... Jesus embodied himself again through us, and we were a part of bringing justice and righteousness to the world, uh, showing up in places of pain and hardship and being a presence of goodness and blessing. Uh, So with that said, uh, I'm going to start a new series today. Uh, I I keep on my phone, uh, in an app on my phone, this long list of sermon ideas uh, I, I don't think I'm, I'm not going to run out anytime soon because there's usually one or two added at, during every sermon series. So, so I, the, the list is not depleting anytime soon. But one uh, one thing that's been on the list, uh, I, I kind of have a section that would be ideas for Advent. And one uh, one idea that's been in that section for a number of years now is that I wondered what it would look like to preach about the character Joseph. Uh, he, he's kind of the neglected uh, character in the story, and maybe for good reason, and yet he shows up uh, in, in Scripture uh, only in about 17 verses or so, but uh, he's an important part of the Advent, the Christmas story, and yet we don't talk about him very much. So I kind of wondered, like, maybe at some point down the line, uh, years from now, or at some point, I'm going to preach about Joseph during Advent. Uh, and then uh, maybe three or four months ago, I saw that there is a, an author, his name is Adam Hamilton, and he was uh, about to release a book uh, called Faithful, the, the Christmas Story Through the Eyes of Joseph. And I thought, well, that seems, that seems like good timing then. Like maybe it's time to, to cross that sermon series off of my list 
and to tackle uh, Christmas through the eyes of Joseph. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, Adam is a, uh, he's a United Methodist pastor in Kansas City. And so uh, uh, please know that I'm borrowing some ideas from him. And some of these are my ideas. And some of them are collected from all different resources. Every pastor steals. And I'm admitting to fraud right now. So uh, these are not all my ideas. Some of them are, are Adam's. But we're going to spend four weeks exploring the character of Joseph in the Christmas story. What we know about him. What we can learn about God from him what we can learn about ourselves from him, and then maybe how Joseph can help shed light on the Christmas story in a brand new way, maybe in ways that we haven't really thought about when it comes to the Christmas story. So, so let's jump in. Uh, on a really basic level, uh, again, I said we don't know much about Joseph. There are like 17 verses in all of Scripture that talk about him. So we don't know much about him, but one of the main things that we do know about Joseph is that he was a... Carpenter. He was a carpenter. It's one of the one of the only things we know about Joseph. He, it was his career. He uh, he was a carpenter. Matthew thirteen says, uh, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did he get this, did this man get all these things? Which is sort of a condescending statement. It's not the most fun statement, but we do learn from here that Jesus was, or, or that Joseph was a, a carpenter. Uh, again, not a flattering way about talking about uh, the father of, of the Son of God. Uh, Jesus uh, didn't exactly uh, come from royalty, and, and everyone knew it, but they're kind of putting down Joseph and his family and, and his, his profession. Uh, but I think that Jesus' upbringing was incredibly important in shaping his future ministry. And especially the fact that his dad was a carpenter. I don't think it's a point that should be glossed over. I think it's actually quite important. I think the fact that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was a carpenter says a lot about the impending ministry that Jesus is going to do during his time on earth. So let's explore that for a few moments this morning. What is there to learn from here, from the, from the simple fact that Joseph was a carpenter. All right, so first thing I would say is that Joseph was a plain, unsophisticated, blue-collar guy and that God specifically chose him to raise his son. Uh, He is a carpenter. He's plain, simple, blue-collar, hard-working, and in that fact, in those details... God chose to plant his own son into that family, I think, for a reason. There is, there is nothing special about Joseph. Nothing. He's barely mentioned. Uh, he's, there's nothing overly great. He's normal. He's dull. He's average in every, in every way. There's nothing incredible about his life. Heck, Scripture is even clear in its language that Joseph is merely a builder and not a master builder. The text uses the word tecton to talk about what Joseph was. He was a tecton, uh, which, which means builder or carpenter. And not, we're not talking stonemason. We're not talking building grandiose buildings uh, out, out of brick or mud or clay. We're talking putting some finishing details 
uh, on the buildings once they're done or building some of the furniture that goes in the house once it's completed. He is a tecton. He, and, and we know that because uh, we know that he's simple in the fact that, they, that Scripture does not use the word architecton, which is uh, what Craig is, an architect. Right, it's where we get the word architect from. Architecton means master builder, and it would have been somebody who owned the business and uh, and had lots of employees and was in charge of of lots of things and, and was a master craftsman. And Scripture is very clear to delineate that Joseph was just simply a tecton. He's just a simple builder. Just uh, so even within the building industry, Joseph is just plain. He is just ordinary. And yet, God uses Joseph to be the father of his son. It's incredible. God has a habit of using the ordinary to do the extraordinary. I think it's one of the simple lessons that we learn or that we are reminded of when we think about Joseph as a carpenter. God has a habit of using the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And, and this is absolutely true and completely visible throughout all of Scripture. I, I think about the character of Isaac, one of our forefathers, right? Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob. Uh, and yet, he's one of our forefathers, and Scripture barely mentions him. As one writer says, Isaac was the ordinary son of a famous father and the ordinary father of a famous son. Uh, Pastor Alexander McLaren begins one of his sermons, The salient feature of Isaac's life is that it has no salient features. Uh, Although he lived longer than Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph, Isaac's life is pretty much covered in one chapter whose most exciting feature is some squabbles over wells. Uh, There is nothing exciting about Isaac's life. It is boring. And yet, God blesses Isaac and uses him as a part of continuing his covenant promise through Abraham. Or you think about the character of Gideon in Judges chapter 6, where it says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Uh, And Gideon replied, Pardon me, Lord? But how can I save Israel? Uh, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Uh, which that response is the most plain, ordinary, unheroic response ever. Pardon me, Lord. Uh, how can I? Come on, man. Stand up for yourself, Gideon. Uh, he's, he's plain. He's ordinary. But then the Lord answers, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon is nothing special, and yet God uses him mightily. Uh, or I think about the famous character David. He's the youngest and weakest and most pathetic among all his brothers. Samuel comes and is looking for the new king, and he skips over everyone. And eventually, none of them are right. Uh, and, and he says, do you have anyone else? And, and the family essentially says, well, there's David, uh, the weakling, the ordinary one. Uh, uh, and yet God says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Ordinary made extraordinary through the presence of God. God chooses to use us in our weakness 
and not in our strength. Praise Jesus. Uh, I love what Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, my, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is good news. Or Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have these things, we have these skills, and yet we hold them loosely and we hold them in very plain, ordinary containers. Our body, our lives, the simplicity of who we are uh, so that God's power and might can be boasted at through our ordinariness. Uh, I love this passage in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1. Uh, starting with verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us a wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Uh, I love that so much. No offense, but none of us in this room, myself especially, are world-renowned world beaters. Uh, There's no one sitting in this room, uh, myself included, that is curing cancer anytime soon or that is doing anything on the public stage that will, that will uh, get us great world recognition. We are ordinary, plain, simple, flawed, and I am the most ordinary of them all. I actually had somebody uh, recently tell me that I was refreshingly normal. <laughs> I think that's a compliment, but I don't know. Uh, or there's a, there's a retired pastor from Roundup named John Iverson, who many of you know. Uh, and he told me when I was first kind of starting, he was giving me some words of wisdom. Uh, and he said that in his ministry, his 25 or 30 years of ministry, he always sought to be consistently adequate. Uh, that's that's kind of funny. That's actually, that's actually pretty good. We don't have to be awesome for God to use us. We don't have to be extraordinary for God to do something extraordinary through us. Joseph, the plain, unsophisticated, blue-collar carpenter, reminds us that God can and often wants to use the ordinary people of the world to do extraordinary things. Uh, Two other really quick things 
that we learn from Joseph the carpenter. Uh, as I was thinking about carpentry, I was thinking about that, that carpentry takes certain skills, attitudes, and characteristics in order to have success. And I have almost none of them, which uh, probably explains why I'm not handy in any way, shape, or form. But carpentry takes a certain skill set. Uh, it takes things like patience. And I'm not a very patient person. So for me, woodworking can be maddening, even the most simple of things. You have to move so slowly with such precision. And then things go wrong, and and you have to assess what has gone wrong and make corrections. Uh, it, It is slow, patient work doing carpentry. Carpentry takes persistence. Sometimes you, or more specifically me, I just want to give up. I don't want to be persistent. I get so frustrated that you just want to quit, but you have to push through that frustration and keep going. It's hard work. It's taxing work. It's trying work, and it is tough to persist. Uh, Carpentry takes attention to detail. You have to be careful. You have to take care in the little things. It's meticulous work. You have to take your time. Everything matters in carpentry. Every step is important, and there's no cutting corners. Uh, And then the final thing I was thinking about is you have to be a visionary leader. You have to be kind of a visionary when you're doing uh, woodworking. You have to be able to see the end product in your mind and have kind of a vision of of what are the steps, how might I get to that end product, the goal that is set before you, or else you'll never finish the product. And and I think that, that these characteristics are probably the reason that God chose Joseph to be his son's father. I think some of these things set Joseph apart and made him an appropriate father to God's son. And I think that they were also skills that Joseph passed down to Jesus that ended up being vital in his ministry. All of these characteristics helped Jesus immensely in his ministry on earth, and they were all passed down from his father, Joseph. You think about Jesus' ministry, and it's full of things like patience, persistence, attention to detail, and kind of visionary thinking. If we want to live the kind of life and and be the kind of presence that allows for the ongoing incarnation of God in the world, then these are the characteristics we are invited to embody as we seek to make space in the world for Jesus to take on flesh and dwell among us. We have to hone the skills of patience, persistence, attention to detail, and visionary thinking, the skills that Joseph the carpenter had mastered. Uh, And then finally, I would say that carpentry, at least in the world where Joseph was living, would have been a craft, a trade, a practice that was passed on from one generation to the next. Uh, This would have been, uh, you know, Joseph was a carpenter, uh, and his father would have been a carpenter, and his father and his father, and then Joseph passes the carpentry trade down to Jesus up until the point where he becomes a rabbi. But this was the family business. This is passed on from generation to generation. So Joseph, by trade, had a mentoring mindset. He was a mentor at heart. He cared about the next generation. He wanted to teach and help them. He wanted the best for them. He wanted to pass the torch to them. And Joseph clearly does this With Jesus, he taught him and trained him and raised him well, and not just with regard to carpentry, 
but as a man, as a person, he helped train him. He passed on uh, important life lessons. And, and even though Jesus is God's son, uh, he greatly benefited from having someone like Joseph mentoring him, passing on lessons. Joseph was a teacher. And Jesus and his ministry, and, and inherently us as well, benefit greatly from the teaching of his father. Uh, Adam Hamilton, the writer of the book, says this, When I think about Joseph's story, what strikes me is that the person whose birth we celebrate at Christmas was in large part shaped by his human father. It seems likely to me that Joseph intentionally modeled love, faith, and fatherhood, and that what Jesus learned from him shaped his life and his ministry. So the calling for us here is twofold. First is to allow Jesus to mentor us as Joseph has mentored him. Uh, can we learn? Can we grow? Can we allow Jesus to form uh, and shape us into brand new people? And then secondly, the calling is for us to mentor others as Jesus has mentored us. Who can we help? Who can we pass on things to? Who is in our life that could drastically use some help? Uh, who, who can we help shepherd along the way? Who can we be a, mel- a mentor to? So as I wrap things up, uh, we are, we're just getting started with our exploration of Joseph. But may we walk away today remembering that there was nothing special about Joseph. And yet God chose to do something extraordinary with the ordinary. And he can do the same with us. Uh, May we remember this morning that Joseph was prepared to welcome God into the world because of the characteristics he had been developing over the years and that we should also be honing our skills and attitudes in order to better incarnate God for a world that desperately needs to witness God in a brand new way. And, And finally, may we remember that Joseph invites us into a mentoring mindset, into being constantly formed by Jesus, and into looking constantly for others who we might help form in the way of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this simple carpenter. Uh, I think most of us are probably like me, where, they, uh, where I feel ordinary, I feel plain. I feel like on most days there is nothing special about me. Uh, And yet, uh, for some odd reason, you have chosen to do almost all your work in the world through really ordinary people, Uh, often unskilled people, sometimes even unfaithful people. And so we do pray that you would use us, that you would take our ordinariness and transform it into something extraordinary for the world that we would be open to being used in in a brand new way that might usher your reality, your presence into our world where we might help incarnate you uh, anew, afresh, here in this time and in this place. God, help us as we seek to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.